And I love asking people questions, their favorite memories of that person, because talking about them keeps their memory alive. Like I don't hear my daddy's name anymore. No one says Lloyd Lindsay anymore. So when people are asking me questions about my dad or about Lloyd, it's like, oh, thank you. It's such nourishment to my soul to get to talk about him. I have a question. Do I have a Southern accent? I don't think I do, but I wish I did. I mean, I I wish I talked like this. I feel like a lot of my family has more than I do. My life would be different if I talked like this. I think people would think I'm nice, nicer than I am, or a liar. Ruthie's got a great Southern accent you'll hear today. I'm sure y'all already know her, but no, sometimes people, I'll meet somebody and they'll, they'll be like, where are you from? And I'm like, Tennessee. They know they can pick up on something. I don't know what it is. I was raised by television. Truly. I mean, I had a great family, but I literally was raised watching Seinfeld and Friends. So I, I just, and E and E.T. Do you remember the Entertainment Tonight? Does that still exist? Welcome back to Question the Self. I'm your host, Jedediah Jenkins. I'm a writer and essayist, and now I have a radio show. I call it a radio show. This show is a question and response show where we pick a topic and not only field questions from me, from an expert that I've chosen that I respect in my life, but also questions from you. How cool is that? Today's guest is Ruthie Lindsay. I've known Ruthie since I got back from my bike trip. I mean, I like found her online during my bike trip because I was homesick and she lived in Nashville and seemed like she had a cool life. So it just like scratched an itch. But then once I got home from cycling across South America, we became instant friends. And I've road tripped back and forth across this country with her numerous times. We just have a really profound soul connection. And her, her story and her journey is one that has been such a sharpening wisdom source for me in my life. Her and I are very different. She's a big feeler. She's very spiritual in a way that I am not. She's very sensitive to the spirit, to movement, to energy. She'll walk into a room and have to sage it. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not like that. I've never met a room that I felt some type of way about, unless it was just like hideous decor. But, well, now she's really become a teacher and a healer, and she's kind of moving into this space of really using her gifts as an empath and as a healer into tea ceremony and guided ceremony and helping people really connect to their bodies and integrate spirit, mind, and body, integrate past trauma, integrate pain. Right now she's teaching courses in the desert in Arizona, I think. Her memoir, There I Am, is the story of how she was in a car accident when she was young. To put her back together, they had to wire her spine back together. Later in her life, years, a few years later, that wire broke and sliced through her brainstem, which caused her to have, to this day, debilitating chronic pain to the point of her, the right side of her body is on fire at all times, aka if you were to burn it, she wouldn't notice. That caused her to 
basically live in her bed for seven years um, on the maximum dose of fentanyl, just basically trying to survive. And ultimately, she moved into not wanting to medicate her life away, and she weaned herself off all the drugs. By that time, her marriage had fallen apart. Her dad, who was coming to see her on her way to the Mayo Clinic, collapses and dies. Her Her best friend, her hero, her father. So I really wanted to talk to Ruthie about death and about processing not only the death of your beloved father and a loved one, but also the death of the future you thought you would have. And I'm going to bring in a little bit of the conversation around the soul, around spirit, because her and I don't really agree. Well, we're both very willing to not know the answer to what is the afterlife? What is spirit? Is there anything supernatural? Is there anything spiritual or is everything physical? We are endlessly correctable, but where our intuitions lead us are very different. A lot of the things that her intuitions lead her to believe are probable or highly possible are things that I believe the opposite about. So this conversation is a really special thing where we hold space for each other and and really learn from each other about worlds that are perceived differently. We talk about what do you say to someone who's just lost a parent or a family member or a friend? Because I know me, sometimes I, this has happened in the past, I freeze. I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to make them more sad. And then I say nothing and then they're sad and then they feel like I didn't care. And we go into all of that. We also talk about different ways to perceive the spiritual world. Do we have past lives? Are there spirits in an in-between place? We talk about taking the zoomed out perspective that your soul chose its destiny, that it saw what was coming and it chose it as an opportunity to learn and how damaging that can be to say to somebody when they're going through it. What I love about the differences between the way Ruthie perceives the world and the way I do, or our intuitions at least, is that really worldview is is evolution trying something out. It's testing different beliefs to see what works because really belief isn't about truth, it's about success. What belief survives the testing of reality? and leads to you know, societal or reproductive success. So I hold different beliefs like that. And if I believe something is harmful or bad for human thriving, I will say that. But as Ruthie says, I am so willing to be wrong. Without further ado, this is Ruthie Lindsay on Death and the Soul. I feel so comfortable. I mean, the whole point of this show is to talk to people that I know and love already. So it's, I'm kind of scared if I ever get to like season two or something and I have to interview strangers, but I mean, not that I've ever met a stranger, but I just want to talk to my friends. Well, season two, just bring your friends back. Oh yeah. To ask more questions. (laughs) Yes. We can talk all day long. so many questions. Oh, of course you did. Well, there's something very... I almost feel like I bit off more than I can chew because I don't know how therapists are like miles and on site. I don't know. Like people have very heavy, serious problems and they're just looking for direction. And it's such Mm a, it is such a bitch being a human. It's also the most beautiful journey we could ever take, but goddamn. So Ruthie, in the intro, I'll have given your whole bio. So is if anyone doesn't know who you are, but 
Today, because the show is about advice and specifically about lived experience of the people that I know and and basically I want to capture the things that you've said to me and just your perspective on things. Mm -hmm. I was excited to talk to you about death because you've experienced it in numerous forms in ways that I haven't Mm -hmm. yet, Mm -hmm. whether it's you lost your beloved father Mm -hmm. and you also lost the youth you thought you would get. And I died in my car wreck. (laughs) And you died. Yeah. In this body, I've already done it once. (laughs) Yeah. So like to begin, will you just tell me like how you would interpret what death is and why it is? I know that's broad, but what, what does it mean to you? Gosh, well, it's changed so much. And what I think today, I might think something so totally different tomorrow. And I feel so great about that. I feel so great (laughs) about being wrong. I feel so great about, but like the little finite ways that my little human brain can wrap around it today, I can tell you, you know, with very open hands, what I believe. (laughs) Say what we were saying this morning, because we were basically, we were talking about how if our 22-year-old selves could look into the future and see what our 38, 40-year-old selves are like, oh my God. they'd be horrified. I would have been like, y'all, I need intercession. Get together. Bring the whole church together. Pray for my future self. She is lost. Lost. <laughs> she is so lost. Completely She's a wayward. heathen. <laughs> Isn't it? it? But it's like, I look at that. I look back at my sweet self with just like, oh, you were really trying to be a good boy. Yes. And she was perfect. And I love her so much. And she got me here. I'm obsessed with that journey. It's perfect. Mm. It's perfect. And it was very boxed in and it was very black and white and it was very dualistic. And it was, there's good people and bad people. And I mean, I was taught about predestination. I was taught that and like, I remember people arguing about it. And I'm like, I'm just doing what they told me. And they, people say there's, pre- <laughs> my pastor says there's predestination and I have been chosen and everyone hasn't been chosen. And I'm going to get to go to heaven if I keep doing all these things that are meant, to, you know, that I'm meant to do. And other people are lost and they weren't chosen. And I guess they'll go to hell. And, you know, if gay people don't, change their lives, I guess they go to hell. And if you don't accept Jesus in your heart, like, and you know, but then it's also real confusing if you were taught predestination, because you're like, why do you have to accept it if he chose you? Hello? That doesn't fucking, <laughs> how's that land? But I but believe- But isn't it funny? Like, you're in a giant building surrounded by adults. You just got into a brain. You just got here. And all these people seem to agree about the way the world works. It's like, of course we believed it. Yes. We're like, okay, I guess you just burn in hell if you don't follow these rules. And if you don't pay your taxes, you go to jail. So I guess both of these are rules. And it's interesting because my family didn't push that stuff. I became involved in all of that in around 18 when I got to college, mm-hmm. but I was taught authority. Like you don't question authority. You don't question grownups. You know, children are to be hurt. You know, we didn't get to have a big opinion on things. It was just like, you kind of be quiet and listen. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And so I was conditioned to just believe whatever was told to me and whatever was taught to me, you know? And so then it just got involved in the church and, and it, it, did you fear hell? Like, were you actually actively scared of it or it was just a confusing concept? Both. And you were like, well, I'm chosen. Both. But then I would be like, well, am I? Because what if I don't like, if I was really honest, 
I was very much acting, you know, like I just didn't, I didn't understand a lot, but I was like, this is what they all do. And I would tell stories that like my best friend Katie told me of her spiritual experiences. Like I would try to take them on as mine. I'm like, okay, this is what an experience with Jesus is like, but I just never had those. I didn't feel that. And so, but I wanted to fit in so badly and I wanted to be a part of that, you know, that box that I was put in. I wanted to do the right thing. So, but then in secret, I would be really fearful. Like maybe I wasn't chosen because I don't have those experiences and I don't understand and I don't want to pray and I don't understand the Bible and none of this makes sense to me. What's wrong with me? Am I going to hell? And so there was that part that was just always floating in the back. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep committing myself to Jesus. So then I don't, I'm so scared. <laughs> Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. Like, okay, <laughs> oh God. I was so afraid. Um, and it's, and then, you know, I went through deconstruction and I, I don't remember exactly when I stopped believing in hell. Like I don't, there wasn't like one moment. I think it was like a gradual, but I do remember the free, the like exhale. And I was like, oh, wow, that story. Explain your belief system. And then kind of, if you don't mind, tell us about your father and what happened there. Yeah. Cause that was your first, like really intense experience of, With of death. death. Yeah. I mean, my girlfriend, Laura had been killed by a drunk driver when we were in college and that rocked mm-hmm. me real, real hard, real hard. Um, and I lost my grandparents, but it wasn't, until, you know, we had found out about the wire in my brainstem. And then a few weeks later, my dad um, was coming to see me when he had his fall and passed away. And I, at the time when I, I was in the midst of deconstruction for sure, but I was just lost at that time. I mean, I'd been living in my bed at that point for almost five years. I was on every narcotic under the sun. I was super just disassociated, numbing, checked out, couldn't deal. I didn't think I could handle life. It all felt too big and too scary. And I felt very abandoned by God. And I think there was a part of me that felt abandoned by my dad too at the time. And I don't think it was necessarily conscious, but I was just like, nothing is safe. I can lose everything. And, you know, I found out I was this ticking time bomb. I was like, I shouldn't be alive. I shouldn't be walking. I shouldn't be talking. If I don't have the surgery to remove this wire, which today's actually the anniversary of that surgery. Um, Wow. You know, it was just, I couldn't see light at the end of the tunnel. I couldn't see hope. I couldn't see peace. I just felt despair and suffering. And I felt like, you know, I was taught in church, like God is good. And I just remember thinking over and over, how is this good? Like, how could this possibly, what good could come of something like this? There's the Bible verse, all things work for the good of those who believe Christ. And you're in the midst of something and you're like, that cannot be true. That, that's how I felt at that time. And I felt, I mean, the word that I felt was abandoned. I really, I felt like God just gave me the big middle fingers. Like you're going to tell me I'm the only human in the world that I'm this ticking time with it. Should I be, I should be dead. I've had this crazy chronic pain. And now you're going to also take my dad from me. You know, it was very victim-y. It was very, and I love that girl. Like, you know, like it was so human and um, she was just in the midst of her shit and didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't see out at that time. And it's just, it's really beautiful how things shift. I, I stayed parked in that place for a good long time. Um, 
I mean, a good long time. <laughs> feeling abandoned. Feeling abandoned, feeling why me, feeling victim, feeling just stuck in my pain story and not being able to see out, feeling very frozen, feeling very, um, yeah, I think one of the stories of trauma and pain is you're, you're all alone, right? You forget that we're connected to all things and that we're never actually truly alone. But when you're in the midst of your own story and your own suffering, it's just, you feel no one can understand. I felt like I was trapped inside of my body, inside of my life, inside of these four walls of my bedroom that I lived in for seven years. I just felt, yeah, I I, I felt hopeless. I just, I would daydream. I'm like, I cannot I actually wanted to die. Like death at that point, which it's funny because it still does, <laughs> but it just sounded like the greatest respite. I'm like, take me now, please, ma'am. Like this is, holy hell. Like I went out of this misery at the time, right? Well, and I'm, you've experienced this is when you can't sleep. Because mm. like when, when people ask me about death, I'm like, well, have you ever had a good night's sleep? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, were you there or were you gone? And they're like, oh no, I was gone. And I was like, are you sad you were gone or were you just happy you were gone? It's like, I mean, and th- we can get into what the spirit is and what it's going to be up to when we're like up in the whatever. But I'm like, that is so important. The res- like the rest that death may be and for especially those that are suffering. And then when you're going through something and your own trauma won't let you sleep, yeah. you've experienced that oh, where God. you cannot sleep. It was I wanted to die. That's when, those were the times where I wanted to die. I was like, I cannot, I would rather not be here and experience this. Cause you just feel, you do go insane. You feel absolute insanity. And it's just, it is hell on earth. Like that is, you know, I'm like, okay, there actually is hell, but it's here. Like we, we create our own hell on earth or we can create heaven on earth, you know? And, but it, it's been I mean, we talk about this all the time, but for me, the healing journey is just an unlearning and a remembering. It's unlearning the stories that I was taught, that were given to me, that were taught by culture, by patriarchy, by church, by society, by family, by, you know, of all the things that are so wrong and so bad and all the boxes and all the ways you have to be um, and just remembering. And a part of my remembering was I am, we all are these divine, eternal beings, <laughs> you know, energy cannot be destroyed. Like, and again, like I said at the beginning, I'm so great with being wrong about absolutely everything, but what lands for me now, and there's schools of thought around this and anything that endears me to my soul, I'm like, great, beautiful, sign me up, sign me up. So part of where this journey began of like, me seeing death very, very, very differently was coincided with like plant medicine. And first, Sam was the first person to tell me, our good friend Sam um, told me to read the book, The Journey of Souls. And I was like, huh. Multiple people have given me that book. Yeah. So at first I was like, interesting. That's an interesting idea, which I'll get into in a minute what it is. And then this guy that I barely knew named Courtney was like the best book I ever read. It was this book called Journey of Souls. And I'm like, weird. I just heard about that book. And then probably a month or two later, when I was with you in Austin, I went and got a stick and poke tattoo from a girl from Spain who barely spoke a lick of English. And on the way out, she was like, 
I feel like I'm supposed in her broken English tells me to read this book, but she writes it in Spanish and she's like, have this translated, but this is a book that I feel like I'm supposed to tell you to read. And when I translated it, it was the journey of souls. I'm like, hello, (laughs) ma'am. Yeah, I get it. Universe chill. Got it. And so (laughs) of course I ordered this, the worst, it's the worst cover I've ever seen in a book in my life. And you know, I care. And I'm like, what is this cheesy book? And I, that book was a remembering for me. And basically the concept is, which is all so out there, right? What do you mean by remembering? So I'll, I'll kind of explain once I tell you more about the book, like every part of my soul was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I remember. I recognize this. I remember this. It's like we come to earth school and we have amnesia and we forget, right? So basically what the concept of this book is, which I've studied all about it, and of course I've had to do it because you know my personality. I'm like, okay, sign me up. I'll do this. Basically, um, (laughs) this doctor who was a total skeptic and didn't believe in any of this um, is a hypnotist. Like that's what he does. And he started realizing that his clients were tapping into past lives and the life between lives while they are hypnotized. And he, this is not something, I mean, he's doctor. It's like black and white, like this is science. This is what, you know, this is not what he believed whatsoever. And, but then he couldn't deny it because he's seeing it firsthand. And so this whole book is about what happens before we come here. And when we die, it's the life between lives. Um, and then there's other books like many lives, many masters, where it's like one person telling all these different experiences of different lives they've connected with. So basically it's called a past life regression when you're hypnotized and there's a certain place that they can take you to where you're able to tap into past lives and the life between lives. And basically what's so cool, I mean, anyone from, you know, different continents, from every walk of life, everyone says such similar things about the life between lives while hypnotized, like people that didn't even believe in any of this stuff. They all, while hypnotized, say the same thing and they're all in an individual room. No one's talking to anyone else and they all are saying the same shit. And basically, in a very, very, you know, dumbed down overview is basically we come here many, 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 many times, same soul. And, you know, there's like earth school, young souls, old souls. And um, we have these soul pod, like, almost like family members that we come here and do many lives with. Like, remember the night I met you and I literally go, this is before I I believed any of this. And I was like, well, there you are. I did not know you. I had missed you my whole life. Like, I literally was like, I know you because we've done this. You know, like we, you have those experiences or you've gone places and you're like, whoa, I know this place. Like I feel so drawn to this place or people will like go to another country and know how to get around and they've never been there before. Right. And they feel so drawn to Italy. Like, why do I want to, you know, and then they can like navigate everything. So, and they talk about how you, you get to choose like your parents and these certain life experiences that you're coming here to learn. And it's what your soul needs for growth, for expansion, for to work through karmically things that, and it's all, it's all pure love, right? It's all love, but like with your 
soul family members and guides, you kind of, you choose your parents, you choose this life. But then again, we all have free will. So everyone doesn't choose to work through what they came here to work through. And then you'll just come many, many, many times until in different bodies, different situations, different parents, different time periods to work through what you came here to work through and to learn the lessons that you came here to learn and to expand in the ways your soul longs to expand. And, and I think, I mean, I'm not doing a great job explaining it, but what reading that book, one, literally every part of my, almost even my cells, I was like, yes, like every part of me just believed, like knew. It's like this crazy thing. And the thing that I think I walked away with more than anything else that felt so beautiful to me was like, wow, my soul was so brave to choose these experiences, you know, like all that I walked through, like, wow. And it was so loving. And ultimately I trusted myself to walk through what I walked through because I trusted myself to ultimately wake up and come back home to myself to remember to do this healing work and to remember what was always so right with me and not what was wrong with me so that I can go out and be a mirror of what is true for everyone. It's not mine. Right. And I think it just, it endeared me. It, it, it took away all sense of like victimhood and it felt so empowering to me. I was like, wow. And it also in some ways explained to me a lot of, I've always felt homesick here. Like even in my family growing up, I never, even though they loved me really well and we had our issues like everyone, but I just, I would just remember being like, I don't, I don't belong here. This does not feel, I always have felt homesick, homesick, even though I have the most amazing friends, I have the most amazing life. I love my life. I love my world. I, I love the work I get to do. And, and this isn't my home, (laughs) you know, like death. And again, if tomorrow I had three months to live, I'm sure I would have, I could say totally different things. Who knows? But who I am in this moment talking to Jed, I don't, death doesn't scare me. You know, like death, I mean, things on earth still scare me. You know, I try not to be a fear-based person, but there's things, there's shit here that scares me, you know? I've seen you walk right up to a cliff. You are not very scared. <laughs> I'm not I'm, that scared. <laughs> no, you are not very scared of much. But like, like, I like to make my belly flip. I do love my belly flipping. But like death, I'm like, oh, that's home. And like, I've really looked into possibly studying um, to be trained down the road, not right now, into being a, a death doula. And I can't think of anything more sacred than watching someone come into earth from the other side and leaving and that veil being so thin and like the honor and the privilege of getting to just watch and experience and hold space for and love and for someone to move back to the other side and to transition. Like it's all just a transition, like a baby, Audie's baby that just came in. She just tr- transitioned from being back in the in-between into a human body. And she chose Audie and Sean as the, these perfect parents. And it's what her soul came for, you know, like we don't know what all that is yet, but this is like, I don't know. And again, like we said earlier, I mean, Jed, even three, three years ago, I've been like, 
hello, ma'am, the food. Right. But now, I mean, I've done past life regressions. I've tapped into a, a good bit of past, you know, a handful of my past lives. And and it's always things that are of service to you in this life that you're shown. Mm-hmm. And it's wild. Like I'll, I had an experience with when I did a past life regression, connecting with this one's life. And one time I was like connecting, I was at my healer Sandy's house and she brought out, she literally was like giving me specific. She's, she's actually done that twice over two past lives that I've connected with very viscerally and like seen and experienced certain things. She, without me ever saying a word to her about either of them, she's brought up what she sees in those lives for me. She's like, I see you in this one experience. Wow. With, and I'm like, I've never told you that. I never told you that, you know? And she wow. like knows specific things that I've seen, which is just like weird. You can't make, you know, I'm like, why? I don't, I don't understand. And I think there's so much mystery. We're not meant to like, right? we're not meant to. And that's perfect. And if I'm wrong about everything I just said to you, perfect. That belongs to you. <laughs> I love what you said about how if it what did you say if it makes my soul if it endears me to my soul yeah then sign me up what a great rule for living yeah and for belief and yes so do so would you say would you say your dad is in the in between or he's back or who knows and that's and he's choosing right now where to go like what do you believe about that or is that just above your pay grade i mean it's definitely above my pay grade and i definitely I mean, I feel like anyone that doesn't act like this, like about everything, like, you know what I mean? But I have ideas. Yeah, I have ideas. Like I feel him very, and I think we're all in more than than one place. Like what if my spirit is a guide for many people on the planet right now? What if I'm also back in the in-between or what if I'm also living and another body. I mean, I, I don't know who knows, who knows, but I also, (laughs) I'm like, feels real possible to me, you know, but I, all I do know is I feel my dad very, very, very specific. Like he is with me often and Mm -hmm. I've had way too many beautiful experiences and signs from him and like this is a tiny random one, but there's little things that happen all the time. Like our sign is the white dove. Whenever I was a little girl, he'd point to the stained glass of this dove at the church. And he's like, whenever you see that bird, know your daddy's thinking about you and he loves you so much. I'm like, and if I went to church and he didn't, he's like, do you see the bird? I mean, of course it's for the Holy Spirit, but he's like, that's your dad. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm thinking of you. I love you so much. I love him. I love him so much. And so in the fall, it was my first live thing. It was like, you know, COVID safe. They zoomed most people in, but there were still people in the room. I like drove somewhere. I wasn't sitting just behind a computer. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, a lot has changed this year. And so it was a very different talk than I've ever given before because I've changed yeah. a lot this year and a lot of old things don't fit anymore. And when I was leaving, I was like, okay, daddy, if that felt aligned and I'm like walking on the right path, will you, will you send me our sign? So I drove home from Atlanta after the talk. I got home probably like 11 o'clock at night and I walk up on the front porch and there's a package on the porch and I walk in, I open it. And there's literally a t-shirt that says vote 
with a dove on it that someone just randomly gifted me. And I'm like, who, A, why would a dove be on a vote t-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> but like little, and I'm like, yes, anyone can say that's just a coincidence. Great. But for me, I'm like, thank you, daddy. That like, is endearing. That is so daddy. so precious. And like a few weeks ago, you know, I do my tea, my tea ritual every morning and it's part of my like meditation, my practice. And I'll like call in my guides and my angels to come be around me and to support me and to teach me. And I had this beautiful experience while I was like doing some kind of inner child work with young version of me that was really tortured, honestly. And I was like loving on her. And then I asked specific guides, do you have a message for both of us? And when I got to my dad, I was like, daddy, do you have a message for little Ruthie and for me today? And I had not thought about this in age, probably since I wrote my book, I haven't thought about this. But when I was a little girl, I would always go crawl on my dad's bed. And every morning he'd rub my back and he'd go, pat, pat, rub, rub. And he'd like pat me and rub me and say, daddy loves you. God loves you so much every morning. And I hadn't thought of it. I mean, years. And all of a sudden, I literally, I go, Daddy, do you have a message for us? And all of a sudden, I start going, Pat, Pat, rub, rub. Daddy loves you. God loves you so much. And, like, I know that he, you know what Mm. I mean? It was just, like, little things. Yeah, he gave that to you. Yes. And it just was, I started crying so hard because, I mean, I hadn't thought of that in ages. And I've never done that for myself. Yeah. Ever in my life have I done that for myself, right? And it was just the sweetest. And I just knew that he was there. And I feel him all the time. I mean, all the time. One of your, I think one of your true gifts is not only being open to your own journey and and understanding that you're ever evolving and being kind to your past selves and your future selves, but also you're such a good friend because I, not only do you have incredible emotional intelligence and, uh, you know, the gift of empathy, but you've also experienced so much life Mm -hmm. that you're not just guessing what it's like to grieve. You're not just guessing what it's like to be scared. You're not just guessing what it's like to feel abandoned. And a lot of times for me as an Enneagram seven, trying to like tap dance around and make people happy, knowing what to do when someone has just gone through something like a major loss or grief it, I par- I feel paralyzed. I don't know what to do. And I want to do right by the people that I love. Mm. And so I don't know, like, what is something that people get wrong yeah. about helping those that are going yeah. through loss? Well, first off, I just want to say it's so human to not know what to do, right? It's so hard. And it's such a, it, it can feel paralyzing because people are worried about saying or doing the right thing. So often people do nothing. And so, and I think that feels like its own wound so often because when you're in it and you already feel so alone and when people you love don't know how to don't show up, right. It can feel even lonelier at times. So I think Things that I have learned that feel good to me, that feel, and other people taught me this. I learned this because I learned what felt great and I learned what didn't feel good, you know, and all that just comes through experience. And I don't ever fault people that haven't experienced the death of a parent, not knowing what to do. Of course you don't. Thank God you don't. I don't have to judge that. Like, of course you don't know that. And that's why it's so beautiful. Like 
with experience, like when someone's going through a divorce, you're going to go talk to someone that's been through that before. That's on the other side. That's built is thriving on the other side. Right. So some of the things that I learned are I put in my phone and my calendar and I put a yearly date every year, you know, for certain friends that I know they lost a child or they lost a brother or they lost a parent or they lost a spouse or whatever it is, that date is in my calendar. And that way I, every year I can reach out to them and like, and it's so cute because I do it with Amber and her brother and she'll be like, I didn't remember it was today. Thank you. You know, but it's in my calendar. And so each year we make an intention and, and I love asking people questions, their favorite memories of that person, because talking about them keeps their memory alive. Like I don't hear my daddy's name anymore. Mm. No one says Lloyd Lindsay anymore. So when people are asking me questions about my dad or about Lloyd, it's like, oh, thank you. It's such nourishment to my soul to get to talk about him, right? And it's like its own death when you don't hear someone's name anymore. That's its own, that's its own secondary death when it's like, wait a minute, you know? And so putting it in your calendar, asking, and you always ask without an agenda. If they don't want to talk about it, perfect. But if they do, like, hey, if you want to right now, or we can do it, you know, put it on the table and talk about it another time. But I would love to hear stories, like some of your favorite memories of blah, 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 you know, and that's a huge one. Another one that I remember reading this in Option B, this great book, and I remember her saying, don't ask people, what can I do for you? Do you need anything? Because that puts the pressure on them to still ask for something, which can feel when you're in it, A, you're paralyzed, but then also, especially people that aren't adept, um, inept, aren't whatever the word is, at asking for things, they can feel, that can feel really bad to them. Like, oh, I don't want to ask for this thing, you know? And hopefully we're all getting over that because we all have needs and that's, that's great to ask for things. But when you say, hey, I'm going to bring you a meal, does Wednesday work or Friday work? And if not, then you come up with another date or simplify. simplify. I'm doing this thing for you. When does it work best for you? Hey, I am sitting downstairs at the hospital. If you want a hug, I'm here. If not, just know I am sitting here sending you so much love and caring for you. And um, on my way to the hospital, I'm going to pick up food. What sounds good to you? Does this, you know, like taking away them, them having to come up with asking for things or like figuring out needs, like you just stepping in and making it happen is such a huge one. And I think probably the biggest one of all is not trying to fix it. Just showing up, listening, being quiet, holding space for, loving on. Let me come sit and watch a movie with you. Like just showing up as a physical presence, sending a phone call, you know, sending a text, just knowing that you're thought of and that they care is like, oh, that goes so, like just goes so far and not needing anything back, right? I'm not here to fix you. I'm not here to give you advice. I'm not here to make it feel better. I'm just here because I love you. There's something that you said about that feels at the core, at the foundation of all of this, which is I feel abandoned. Mm. I feel alone. Mm -hmm. And that's like, 
that is the floor, the ground floor yeah. of all the feelings. Yes. And just to have your community, have your friend near yes. you is is nourishing that anxiety mm-hmm. like helping to heal it i think yes because again like pain trauma suffering the story we tell ourselves is we're all alone and then it feed we feed it because we shut down and we isolate i mean i am queen of it right when i'm like suffering in the midst of it because you don't want to be a burden you don't want to you know and so you just you go inward And it's just this really vicious cycle because then we feed the narrative that we're all alone because we don't want to be with people. We don't want to ask for help. So having people just lean in, even when you're being pushed away and just being like, great, I'm just going to leave food on your front porch or I'm here when you're ready. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. Is it from option B or I forget where I heard it, but I know it was from you. Don't ask people, how are you? Ask them, how are you today? Yeah, it's just so beautiful, like not saying, hey, how are you? Because that's so big. I think I did read that in option B. That feels so big. I'm like, well, I'm concerned that, you know, I'm not going to ever have a partner and I'll never be a mother and I'll never. And it's just, you know, people can go down this rabbit hole of all the things that they're worried about and all, you know, but instead of being like, how are you feeling right this minute? How are you feeling today? Right? Because listen, how I feel right this minute could be light years away from how I feel tomorrow morning. You know, like everyone besides you, you're the, (laughs) every other person I know has just just the steadiest. I'm a robot. I used to be steady when I was on drugs. Now I am not. (laughs) My brain has like natural, God knows what, fentanyl. Fentanyl patch. (laughs) (laughs) It's just my brain. (laughs) But it's not, it's like, it's just a, del- oh, I love your brain. Your brain is so perfect. Oh, I love it. And I love my brain. My brain is so perfect too. too. And it's just, I feel a lot of things. <laughs> I feel so many things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to play you like listener questions. I'm going to say listener, I'm dying, but it's just, there's just so much purity there. Mm-hmm. And I just want to like, <sighs> Let's try this one. I don't know. Hi, my name is Sophia, and my grandmother passed away a few months ago. And of course, my dad and I are grieving. And because we are different people, we do it in a different way. Sometimes I can tell that he needs me. And sometimes I need to be alone. And I don't know how to tell him that I need my own space to grieve my grandmother because I don't want to hurt him. Mm. So... Can you help me with that? Thank you. I'm from Argentina. Oh, that was Sophia. Angel, Sophia. First off, sister, I'm so sorry for your loss. So sorry for your loss. Um, I know that that has to be so tough for both of y'all. And I love how tender you are. I love how sensitive and um, how you're, you know, really looking out for your dad. And the first thing I thought of after those things was, you know, (laughs) I think it's so important to take care of yourself first, like for it to be sustainable. I think, you know, we're not taught very often. It's like, especially those of us like Jed and I grew up in the church and it's like, just give of yourself constantly. Just be selfless. Just die to self, die to to self, self, die to self. And 
oh, what a disservice to our bodies, to our souls. It's just, it's not sustainable. And so, and boundaries are actually really loving, which oftentimes when you're the one that the boundary has been put up against, which I have been at times, you're like, oh, booty pucker. <laughs> I didn't feel good. But it's also so loving and it's such a beautiful lesson, right? Like having someone have the agency to take care of themselves first. When you do that, like it's, you know, I, it's so cheesy and we've all heard it a million times if you're on the airplane and like, you know, you need oxygen, you have to put on the mask yourself first, but it's so real. And there's a reason that it's talked about so often because we, it doesn't necessarily come naturally because we're not taught that, right? It's, and it's an unlearning that like, it's actually so loving to take care of yourself first. Cause the more filled up that I am, when I go in and I do really deep self-care, self-love practices, I am able to walk out with a full heart, with a full tank and able to show up in a way that if I was just doing it out of responsibility and I felt really depleted and I needed to go be alone and filled up. It's just, it's a totally different energy. You're able to show up in such a more mindful and present and beautiful way that's actually so much more impactful when you go and do what your soul needs first. So I don't, hopefully that's helpful and that makes sense. But does that make sense to you, Jen? Totally. I, I would I would say something similar, which is Obviously, her father is grieving his mother, mm-hmm. which is such an intense grief. I mean, yes. I I have pre-grief for the death of my mother. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. And but if she is Sophia is also grieving. Mm-hmm. And like you said, she if she is too concerned with grieving in the way her father needs her to or being there for her father in a way that is not healthy for her then she's doing a disservice because what happens is even when you're being kind like that, or you think you are, if it make, if it hurts you to do it, then 10 out of 10 times you will build a resentment for it. Yeah. And that is something that I also think the church unfortunately taught me growing up, which is you do these selfless things and hurt yourself in the process. And I don't know. I just, yeah, I think you said it exactly right. You grieve your own way. And also you just love your dad. Love him the way you always have. Be there for him. Mm-hmm. Talk about your grandmother. Keep her memory alive. Mm-hmm. Help him. But you don't have to grieve exactly the way he grieves. That's right. Nobody does. And it's going to look different. And it's okay to mess up. It's okay for his feelings to be hurt. It's okay for you to be confused. Like you're going through something. Yes. There's no, I mean no one's perfect and you don't need to do anything perfectly. It's just, we're all in the messy middle, just figuring it out and having, you know, having grace for each other and asking, I'm sorry, asking for space, asking for forgiveness, thanking people when they are able to show up the best of their ability. You know, it's just, we're all just figuring it out. And I love that you said that Jeb, because he's still that, you know, your grandmother's little boy. Like, oh, you know, like that's so hard to lose your mama. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. I mean, and there's, e- even if mama wasn't good, like at yes. losing a parent, even if they were bad to you is just, 
that sense of the universe not making sense of feeling abandoned and it's just yes complex you just nailed it because it could be i'm mourning what i never had what a mama should have been to me you know there's so many layers and there's yes it's so loaded and so layered i feel that i'm taking away from this conversation a really it, it is very profound to see your life as something your soul chose. Mm. It is so reorganizing to the way every like, everything that happens, you're like, because I remember when, when I was super evangelical and had that worldview, I remember it gave me a lot of peace when I was so confused about being a gay kid and why am I going through this and why does God want this from me and this is such torture, I'm not allowed to love, I'm not allowed... Mm. And I didn't actually know where I fell on it. I, I remember being very evangelical Christian and also being like, well, maybe the church got it wrong and being gay is okay. But why do I have to be this like controversial figure? I'm just trying to hang. And I remember thinking, wow, God trusted my soul hmm. with this bullshit. He said, this is a lot. I'm going to trust you with it. Mm. I think you're strong enough. Mm. And so when you said that there's a way of seeing it where your own soul chose this life, your own soul chose to experience loss, to experience hardship, this, that, because it's got to learn something to take it on the great soul journey of wherever souls are going. That reframes death. That reframes tragedy. Yeah. It doesn't mean things don't hurt. Oh, God. So bad. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And, you know... It's just, it, it's such an interesting thing. And I, I, tr- I don't know what's right and what's wrong, but you know, I really, it's kind of like know your audience. I don't talk about that all the time with people. Like if someone was in the midst of their suffering and they came to me and they're like, I wouldn't look at them and be like, Ketchup, sister, you chose this. Like I would never, that would not be right. a service. No, no, no. That would be so damaging, right? That would be so, if someone had said that to me, the week my dad died after we found out about the, I would have punted them to the goddamn moon so fast. I mean, like, get out of my, no, get out of my face. You fuck it. Like I could not have handled that would have felt so dismissive. And so it's this very, it's a very, very, very zoomed out. And so often when we're suffering, we're so in the density of stuff. It's like, we're just so close. Well, and to wouldn't it. you say, Okay, maybe your soul chose this sounds intense, but people kind of say that all the time with everything happens for a reason. God has a plan in the midst of their suffering. And that suffering. feels so bad. It feels terrible. My mom, when her mom died when she was like 10 or 11, you know, all these people kept saying everything happens for a reason. God has a plan. And she like, well, then F, I don't want anything to do with that God. If God t- chose to take my mom away and this is all for, the, you know, I no. hate this plan. then I hate that God. F that God. That's how she felt for many, many, many. It was so damaging for her, you know? And so I think it's also like, I don't know. It's, I think the journey is, you know, balance, right? Because if you're so zoomed out all the time and you're like, everything's, then you don't care about anything and you can't be with people in the midst of their trauma and their pain and you can't hold space and you can't enter in. But also if you're so stuck in your pain story and so parked, which I also was for so long, you can't see out of that either. And it's like, I am just going to suffer. Woe is me. Everything is suffering. You know, life is a bitch. No, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Let me just die and get out of here. You know, 
And so how do we live in that in-between, in that non-dualistic both and? Because is that person's trauma so real and so true? Yes. Oh my God. And it's so hard and it's so painful. It's so painful. And why their soul chose this expression, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But to live in that in-between place of like both can be true, right? Both are real. Both really belong. And I just, I try really hard to dance in that middle, in that middle spot because their suffering is so real. Like I will never in this body, like I'm going to fight for injustice. I am going to resist. I'm going to like stand up for what's wrong. I, 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 I will not be like, oh, everything belongs. Every that that just you know they chose this. Bless their heart. Like no, it's both and right. And so, if that gives my soul some solace, like I, I really believe, like we have soul contracts. I believe my ex husband and I totally had a soul contract. Like we saw each other, it was like, yep. And a lot of times our soul contracts can be really, really triggering. It brings up stuff that wants to be faced and loved and healed and cared for. Like there's no doubt in my mind that I had a contract with him. I love that. I don't regret one second of it, not one minute of it, because he was a part of my becoming. He was a part of my awakening. He was a part of my unlearning and like, and it came at a real steep cost and it was really painful and it was perfect, you know? Mm. And I think about that because a lot of times we think, you know, soul family members, it's just the stuff like me and you have, or it's all just beautiful mm-hmm. and rosy. I'm like, no, right. no, 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 no. We no. also come here. The balance. It's both. Yeah. Like I have been a point of real pain in a lot of people's lives. I'm positive. Like it's because that was part of the contract. Like I, I am a pain point for my ex-husband that he's done a ton of work around, but I, that's part of my contract with him. Like I caused him a lot of pain too, you know, like, and that was, and I love that, you know, I had a lot of hard things growing up and there were things that were hard with like my parents and even the reframe of like, wow, I was so wise to choose that. You know, like my mom was really, really, really suffering and struggling when I came in. And so she was able to physically be there, but emotionally was just not really able to attach and attune to me. And I'm like, that was, wow, that's exactly what I chose. And it's also taught me how to mother myself in a way. And my limbic brain part of me that doesn't know time, doesn't know when I go back in and take care of little girl Ruthie, that that's not exactly what happened right? Because my limbic brain doesn't know time and we can do that for ourselves. And I wouldn't have learned how to mother me in that way had that not been the case. And now me knowing how to mother me in that way, I can mirror for others how to mother themselves and I can mother them and I can teach them how to go in and just mama the shit out of themselves. And I couldn't do that if I didn't, if I didn't have to go through the journey of learning how to do it for myself. Mm. Well, I'm ready to die in the best way. <laughs> I'll tell you this, Ruthie, I don't, you know, I, I'm like you. I don't know what I'm going to believe in 10 years. I don't know. I don't know what I think about past lives and enter space and whatever, but I know that I know this to be true, which is you and your influence on my life endears my soul to me. Aww. 
like oh. you and the truth <laughs> of your mirror and the way that you are endears me to living in general oh, that is, which is such a gift I think that's the highest compliment anyone's ever given me in my entire life Jen. oh my god I love you I love you I I have moments in those moments in my story when I feel alone and when I feel really sad or I feel my stories will just come up right I will literally go through, and this is part of my work that I give myself. It's so precious. And it's so loving, but I will literally go through my list of like humans that have had such an impact on my life. And I'm like, Ruthie, you've been gifted Jed. Jedediah Jenkins loves you. Look at your life. How beautiful. And I'll be like, you have an Audie Brock in your life. Like, you have an amber salmon, like you are abundance. You have Dr. Hillary McBride that loves you, but you are always on my list when I need reminding of what's so good and right with my life. I think it's so easy for us to just focus on all the things that are wrong and all the things that need healing and all the things that are broken and all the things that aren't right and all the things that we need to make things better, you know. And I've just been really working on practicing what is so right in my life? What is so right with my body? What is so right with my friendships? What is so right with my home and my work and my life? And I always, when I do those practices, which I do all the time, you are always in like the top of the list of like, you have freaking Jedediah Jenkins <laughs> loves you and has chosen you. Like you are I am abundance. Like I, my soul chose you. I feel it did. I, I, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I just, it's such, you are such a treasure to me. And it's so, I think what I feel so blessed about is it feels so unwavering. Like you've watched me walk through really dark moments and really be fucking weird and go off and just, and you have just stayed so steady. Like, it's like, I, I just feel so lucky and so blessed and so grateful. Like you enrich my life on a level that's, I just hope that we just keep coming back in so many different ways. I'm like, I hope this in the last round. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. That's going to be the end. But I, I love, there's a thing Oprah says. She believes her life purpose is to be a sweet inspiration is what she calls mm -hmm. it. And I feel like endear, like you, one of your life's purpose, if not the, is to endear others to their own soul. I think that's such, that's a slogan that like is <laughs> Tattoo yours. Tattoo that on my body. Yes. <laughs> oh <laughs> okay, my Okay, I'm stopping God. this recording. I love you. I love, I love you. you. Okay, normally I would do my own response to a question, but y'all, I got my flu shot yesterday. I am unwell. Like I am so achy. I'm going to be honest, I've never I've never had a flu shot before.
I don't really get sick, but just with vaccines and overwhelmed hospitals and whatever, and just with Jessica Rivera, my guest on episode two, just has taught me so much about vaccines and preventative healthcare. I'm just, it was so easy. It doesn't feel like anything, but my arm is so sore and I'm achy. So now I'm just going to watch Netflix in bed. I can't. Um, thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.